March 1st, 2022. I'm Avi Kaufman. And I'm Ron Scharf. And this is Accent Insights. Continuing our uh, winter is a, is a dull time in the housing market series of inviting special uh, and interesting people onto the podcast. Today, we're very pleased to have Mike Yanovich with us. Uh, Mike is currently with Mass Construction Consultants, but I know him from long ago. He was uh, for many years, but probably about 10 years, the Deputy Building Commissioner here in Brookline. And uh, Mike's going to come on and, and talk to us a little bit about uh, what it's like to deal with the building department and um, how to put your best foot forward, what happens process-wise, and some other interesting topics of interest to uh, people in real estate in, in Brookline. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks, Ron. Good to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thank Great. you, Mike. Thank you for being with us. Um, I was wondering if you could start, uh, just give a little background on how you got to, to here and a little bit about who you are. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, as, as Ron said, 10 years, it did seem like 10 years, Ron, but it was only, I was six years in the town of Brookline as the, uh, as the deputy building commissioner, uh, previously chief building inspector, which morphed into uh, deputy building commissioner. Prior to that, uh, I did stints in the city of Boston, Newton, who was the commissioner of the town of Walpole, uh, and also worked in the town of Hingham. So I've done the, the big town, the, the little town, the big city and the little city as I went through my career as a building official. So I did that for about 18 years total. And now currently with uh, my friend and colleague, Joe Kelly, with Mass Construction Consultants. And we're a multifaceted business where we deliver construction consulting uh, and education to businesses, companies, homeowners, uh, developers in and around the Boston area uh, and beyond. We have a project that just came up in Deerfield, a fairly large uh, you call them microbrews, but I'm not sure we can call them microbrews anymore because they're becoming fairly large. So we have a microbrewery out there we're working with as well. So um, yeah, we've we've joined forces and I'm out of the municipal sector and now I'm in the private sector and I'm scared to death, but uh, we're rolling along and, and, and Joe and I have a good thing going here so far. So it works out great. Great. So, Mike, my, in my experience, you were the guy behind the desk when when I was doing a project or had questions about, you know, zoning review or, or what could be done either for a client or for a project I was working on. I would come in and people listening should know Mike. Mike's the kind of guy he has. a He knows chapter and verse, certainly of Brookline zoning, probably of the building code as well. You ask him a question, kind of look to this guy and then he would cite you uh, all kinds of sections and whip out the book. But um, tell us a little bit, you know, our, our listeners are generally people in the housing market. Um, you know, they might be looking at buying a fixer upper or, you know, doing a renovation on their home. What happens when they want to do that and, and how does the building department play in? Yeah, so it all depends on, um, you know, how complex or how large the process is. Uh, if we're a general permit just for a renovation, uh, that's fairly easy in approaching the building department and, and, and applying for a permit. Um, you know, one and two family dwellings, homeowners can secure their own permits for those types of uh, structures. If you have anything more than a two family and commercial property, then you have to have a contractor at that point. But the biggest thing is to speak with the building department and have a conversation. You know, don't go in blind and just apply and, and, and expect to have your permit. Brookline is very complex. And, and of all the communities, including Boston, where I've worked and consulted in, Wellesley, uh, you know, um, Dover, wherever it may be, Brookline is the most complex community as far as permitting and zoning goes. 
Um, so the biggest thing is communication with uh, the building department, with the inspector, the commissioner, whoever it is that you may be working with. When, when you say that Brookline is uh, one of the most complex communities, do you have any, any uh, insight into why that is or how that developed? And do you think that that discourages building or just uh, slows it down? This could be a whole subject. We could spend days talking about the philosophy uh, in Brookline, and, and I've watched it evolve. I've been part of it. All of what you said is correct. Yes, yes, and yes. So uh, it, it's it's complicated because the bylaw is complicated. It's It's been layer upon layer upon layer uh, of, of added zoning in the bylaw. And just like physics, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? And that's what happens in the bylaw in Brookline. You know, I, I believe that there is some attempt at this point in Brookline to slow down development, and you kind of see it in the way that projects are approached. And I understand uh, why the town wants to do that. Brookline is growing. And back in 2012 or 2011, uh, you know, I spoke, I don't believe, I don't remember if it was the Board of Selectmen or if it was the Zoning Board or Planning Board, but I said, look, the great thing about Brookline is people want to come to Brookline. I said, the bad thing for you about Brookline is people want to come to Brookline and you need to adjust to accommodate that. Uh, so bylaws have changed. Some bylaws are reactionary. You know, they're changed because people want to stop a certain type of development. Some bylaws change just because the the times change and, and you know, planning, future planning and, and distant planning. You want to see, uh, you know, a morph kind of in the neighborhoods or slow down a certain type of structure in a neighborhood. So all good, but also the ramifications need to be considered. And not every time a bylaw is proposed or passed do people see, you know, what the outcome is going to be until they get what they want and they realize that it probably wasn't, uh, you know, what they had expected when they proposed the language or proposed the bylaw. It's complicated because of the layers. It's complicated because Brookline is a very involved community. Um, it's zoning every day in Brookline and, um, you know, it's complicated because of the pace of development, uh, over the past four or five years in Brookline also. So when you talk about having a conversation with the building department, when you have a project in mind, how does that work? Do you say like, okay, I want to do an addition on my home. Do you just with that basic idea go in? I don't even know if you can still do that. It used to be you could go up to the desk and, and find you or one of the inspectors. Can that still happen? Is that still sort of the, the right way to start? Uh, that is the right way to start. At least a phone call and an email at this point. Brookline Town Hall, you know, is still not open to the public other than if you have an appointment. Um, but you can get an appointment and speak with the building inspector. But the best thing is to pick up the phone, uh, speak with the inspector. So you know what you're going to do. You want an addition. Call the inspector and say, "Here, here's what I here's what I want to do." Uh, there are a lot of resources online that you can utilize prior to speaking with the building official, the assessor's office, uh, and the GIS uh, system that they have. You can at least look at your lot, look at what the town has on record for the size of your lot, uh, general location of the structure. Uh, the permitting system has the ability to look up uh, previous permits. Um, as, as, you know, advanced and as complicated as Brookline is, we, there is still a very large paper file system. So the best thing is to go in and review your file as well to see if there are any previous permits, plot plans, uh, calculations, or even building plans that were done. That will help you as well. 
Um, you know, so gear up and get as much information as you can and then approach the building department through email or phone call and hopefully soon uh, the counter, you know, working at the counter. And, you know, between 8 and 9 or 8 and 10 in the morning or in the afternoon, I don't suggest the afternoons. The inspectors have been out dealing with people all day, every, you know, that day. So in the morning, um, yeah, when they get in uh, is the best time to grab them and, and have a conversation about what your proposal is and, and at least get, um, you know, as I say, the foundation, no pun intended, of the project squared away so you have some direction. Okay. I understand that a lot of the inspectors have are, are relatively new. Uh, nowadays of the town, there's been a lot of turnover in the last couple of years. Where's the institutional knowledge in terms of um, how things have been interpreted and, and you know, what, what, the, what the bylaw actually means right now? Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's, and this morphs back to, uh, or I should say gels back to where we were talking about, um, you know, why is it so complicated? Um, you know, there's been some change in interpretation in the town of Brookline. And, and yes, the uh, inspectors are all new within the past, um, I'm going to say three, two or three years, all the inspectors are new. So the institutional knowledge is not there. Um, and, and, you know, case law actually says that from one commissioner or one decision maker to the next, you don't have to keep um, the previous decision as long as it's not arbitrary and capricious when you're enforcing the new new decision. Um, so yes, in, I'm not going to say trying to slow, uh, development down, but trying to, uh, hold an applicant's feet to the fire to comply. There's been a, a bit of a, a shift in interpretations, um, where interpretations are a bit more stringent now than they were in the past. Um, you know, for, for, you know, good or bad, I'm not sure. Uh, you know what uh, what will come of it, but it has become more difficult to secure permits uh, in the town of Brookline. You know, look, there was developable land still in Brookline, and there's been a lot of teardowns in Brookline. Uh, and as that land and that ability to develop becomes less and less, it's going to become more and more difficult to secure permits. That's just the nature of the of the industry. Is it's a quality of life issue where. Uh, as more and more density comes into the town, obviously the town's going to want to push back uh, and people who are already there are going to want to push back on on the amount of density. So you have this push and pull of developers that want to develop and you have this push of people who are already in Brookline who say, look, it's becoming too dense. There's too much traffic. So there's always that back and forth. It's like the parking issues, right? We need more parking and the other people say, don't put any parking in, because if you put parking in, there'll be cars, right? So it, it, zoning always has that back and forth kind of push and pull. That's interesting. And I think that that's a lot of what we see is, uh, as well is um, the housing prices keep going up and up as, the, as it's harder and harder to, to build. And we seem to have a shortage. And uh, people that have been here for, for decades, there tends to be more resistance to new development when you say that we're more uh, restrictive or, or stricter in the interpretations in Brookline than in surrounding towns, though, I wonder uh, where that comes from. Because the other towns around us are, are pretty, the Cambridge, Boston certainly are also very dense, right? Right. Yeah. In, in Brookline has always seen itself, um, you have everything in Brookline. You have the city, um, you have the suburban you know, kind of area, and then you have, as I call it, the country. 
out um, uh, Cottage Street and in, in that area out there where you have some estates and it gets a little more uh, spread out. So Brookline kind of has a little bit of everything and obviously some very large homes and, and, and whatnot. But as far as complexity and, and being more difficult, I think part of it is Brookline has a very difficult time changing their bylaw in town meeting mm-hmm. because there are so many different opinions, so many different forces that it's very difficult to get bylaws through. So, for instance, in Walpole, when I was in there in 2014, we passed 15 articles of zoning that the planning director and myself wrote, presented to the planning board, and were able to pass 15 articles of zoning in Walpole. Obviously, much less complex, uh, you know, much different demographic in Walpole. But in Brookline, uh, an article is proposed probably goes to committee and festers for a year in committee, then comes back and receives the same scrutiny after a year, uh, you know, for one article. So it's very difficult to pass articles in Brooklyn. And I think the response is, okay, town hall and enforcement needs to look at things a little bit different. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of been the pressure, I think, over the past three or four years is to take a different look. Rather than doing it through the bylaw, Take a bit of a different look and push back a little bit more because a bylaw rewrite or zoning article rewrites is so difficult. Interesting. So who sets those priorities, though? When when you talk about a push to use the bylaw rather than change the bylaw, where does that come from? You know, I, I there are a lot of places where it comes from. I'm, I'm not going to speculate on or say it's any one particular person, but in, in, in town, uh, you know, obviously, town meeting has a strong voice and FinCom has a strong voice. There are a lot of places that it comes from. Meetings in Brookline happen every single day, multiple times a day between committees and, and departments and whatnot. Um, and you can see this coming down the pike years ago where there was a push on the planning side to roll back a little bit of the zoning when the protections of the one and two family dwellings came in through case law. Uh, and it's still happening now. It was kind of, look, this is a problem. We have a lot of non-conforming structures that are now going to be protected through the law. How do we stop people from developing these non-conforming structures and being protected? Um, so it, it comes from a lot of places. As I say, in Brookline, you have uh, beehives that start buzzing, and the loudest beehive is going to get the <laughs> going to get the uh, the attention. So that's what usually ends up happening: is people start buzzing a bit, and it catches. Uh, catches fire. One thing that we were talking a little bit about, just to shift gears a little bit, um, before um, we started recording, you mentioned uh, one of the bylaws that did go through, but then got turned around, the um, uh, restriction on on natural gas and new construction in Brookline. What are your thoughts on that one? So that was proposed again after the AG's office shut it down uh, last year, I believe it was. The AG's office shut it down, which was devastating. I know uh, I worked with a lot of people when I was in Brookline uh, when the uh, EV charging first came about and um, the push to its more green energy in Brookline. So I was active on the committees and active in assisting in writing the bylaw. Um, but I will I will say uh, not to pat myself on the back, but you know Dan Bennett and I both said to the people involved, "This is an uphill battle. You're you're regulating one." law, which is building code, with another law. You're, you're fighting an uphill battle. So when this fossil fuel proposal came forward, not to say I could predict the future, but 
you could pretty much tell that the AG's office knew that there was a conflict. As much as the state wants to be uh, forward-looking and wants to be supportive of green energy, the writing was kind of on the wall with this. So that one was denied because it conflicted uh, with, with current law, meaning building code, gas code. So the second iteration was again approved through town meeting. And that required that any special permit for a structure resulted in uh, a condition of no fossil fuels. As of the end of last week, the AG's office has also denied that bylaw. So that is not going into effect. So the AG's so that office, news. That, that is news. Is, is, that gener- is that publicly known? Because we, we've tracked this and we haven't picked that up. It was hot off the press, I believe, Thursday. I'd have to look back at my, my records, but last Thursday it was hot off the press. And the AG's office cited pretty much the same issues in that um, there's a uniformity requirement in the uh, Mass General Law 40A that says, you know, you need to treat structures in neighborhoods similar and you can't regulate methods and materials. It says it right in the first line of Mass General Law 40A, Section 3. You shall not regulate methods and materials. It violated Section 9 of 40A, which is the special permit provisions. So the AG's office did deny it, and they will have to go back to the drawing board if they are to come forward with another proposal. So the so the sort of backdoor way that because I think it was like you can get a special permit, but it will expire or something if you do, if you put in fossil fuels, right? It, they, they sort of try to backdoor into this prohibition, and the AG called it for what it was. Correct. Correct. So does that mean? I mean, lots of people need to go in for special permit for lots of things. Is it possible still for the town to say on a one-off basis, not as a matter of policy? Yeah, we'll give you your special permit, but you know, as one of the conditions, there'll be no natural, you know, no fossil fuel hookup. So this is the conversation I've had with multiple people since this happened. They asked me; people were calling me saying, "Is there a possibility, as what we call counterbalancing amenities in Brookline, is there a possibility that they can enforce this counterbalancing amenity requirement?" And they could. The interesting thing about zoning is, no matter where you are, a town could be enforcing, imposing or interpreting incorrectly and imposing these restrictions. And you don't know most of the time until somebody challenges it. Uh, An example of that is the uh, neighborhood conservation districts that were imposed in Brookline. That actually got through the attorney general's office because it fit, you know, the, the makeup of the law. And it wasn't until I believe it was Chestnut Hill Realty challenged the validity and it went to court and the court said, no, this is absolutely another layer of zoning and you can't have these. So not only did Chestnut Hill, Chestnut Hill Realty, uh, you know, release themselves from their neighborhood conservation district, it made all the neighborhood conservation districts in town invalid. Right. Um, but that took so a lot that, of money and resources. It needed a Chestnut Hill Realty to put up the resources to go to court right. to do that. Right, right. And and that's the, you know, that's the the downside of challenging one of these things is, you know, it costs time and it costs money as a homeowner developer, um, you know, business owner to go ahead and appeal. But, you know, that's kind of the, one of the nuances about zoning is you never know until somebody uh, appeals if it's being enforced correctly. There's all these different layers. It seems like it it must raise the cost of construction of any project. It certainly must increase the timeline. Um, how do you see that? I mean, you see you see a huge range of projects in, in 
both your previous role or your current role. Does it vary from town to town when you have a town like Brookline with just so many layers? Does it increase um, compared to uh, a town like Walpole? And, and does it come out in a tangible way like the end cost per square foot? So let's talk about the time first. Obviously, with all these layers, it absolutely affects the timeline of applying for a permit. Brookline, you could be applying for a, a small mudroom, and it could mean that you're in a neighborhood where that you know ten by ten or five by ten mudroom requires you know a building permit application, approval through preservation commission, uh, you know for uh, demolition, or maybe you're in a neighborhood uh, you're in a, a historic district and you need to get approval through the preservation board or historic. It could mean that you're near Beacon Street and any exterior modification requires an approval through the planning board. So you could have this project, which could be a very small project in Brookline, and you could trigger historic planning, zoning, and then building code on top of it all. So yeah, Brookline, it, it does add to the time it takes to secure a permit. And that goes back to the whole institutional knowledge thing, Ron, where you know, people are more cautious when they do not have the institutional knowledge and their job, you know, relies on them doing a good job and making the right decisions. No one ever wants to, as a building official, be left holding the bag if a permit is issued that wasn't supposed to be issued. So, you know, having been a building official for 18 years, I get it. I understand. With that said, when, you know, there's a new department, doesn't matter what town, what municipality is, when there's a kind of a new department, that thought process kind of lends to being more cautious, which lends to more time in the permitting process. And in Brookline planning, building, most of the departments have had significant turnover. So it does lend to uh, the time you know, that does take to uh, secure a permit. So yeah, the more layers you have, the more, uh, the more difficult it ends up being to secure a permit. Now that's not to say Brookline's uh, and inspectors, they're very good. So they have previous experience. Many of them have previous experience. So they do know uh, the building code. The thing about Brookline is when you come in, and uh, zoning is the thing of the day, every day, you have to really be on your toes in order to not, not make that misstep when you're issuing a building permit, because there are so many layers, as you said, Avi, to this, that you really have to be on your toes to make sure. And, and it takes a while to learn Brookline zoning because it, it is different. But uh, it absolutely lends to time. Money, uh, I'm sure Ron can tell you about what it takes between zoning board and zoning attorneys and then preservation and applications and demo delays. Um, it, it does take more money and it does add to the end cost of a project when you're going through all these boards and you need representation by architects or, or lawyers. So it absolutely lends to the, the cost of the project. To that point, Mike, I mean, you were always, you know, super helpful at the counter, you know, informally, you know, I used to walk up there all the time and you would just come out of your office. Um, that may not be available now, but I know as a consultant, uh, just tell us a little bit about the level of project where it might be helpful to engage you guys or where you guys would get involved. Is it only sort of like a real development? Do you help homeowners uh, as a consultant? How does that work? So my colleague, Joe Kelly, and I you know, have combined. Uh, I did have CodeSafe, which was my previous company that I still have for education and uh, licensed test prep. I, I do classes. Uh, for mass construction, 
we're doing a lot of commercial projects and a lot of large residential. I will still do uh, zoning reviews in, in Brookline. Again, being as difficult as it is, I have some institutional knowledge. So when people are in the due diligence process and they're looking for information or they're in the initial process of what can we do, I still do a fair amount of that uh, with homeowners, with developers. I know when a piece of property goes on the market because four or five different people will call me that week. Um, so yeah, we still do a fair amount. Uh, we're not doing as much with homeowners on renovations uh, and things like that. We will do permit expediting for large projects, commercial projects. We have a, a, a marijuana dispensary in, in Western Mass. We have uh, expediting for a, a distillery. We have a new bar coming to Faneuil Hall. So we will do expediting and permits for things like that. And on an odd occasion for a larger project, uh, residential, we will do uh, a one or two family. But I will do reviews, uh, due diligence, and um, initial reviews for feasibility. Uh, you know, for a single family or two family or subdivision for that matter, an A and R. But you know, we've we have a pretty decent. Um, client base with the commercial construction companies in the city of Boston and uh, around the city of Boston. So we're rolling with that and it's been working out pretty well. Okay. And just, just so we know, who, who is currently playing your old part in the building department? Who's the planner? Uh, Paul Campbell is there. Paul's a great guy, very knowledgeable. Uh, again, new, came from the western part of the state and um, many, many applicants for the position and Dan chose Paul and and he actually replaced, there was a, a gentleman that was there previous to him uh, for a short time. And then Paul came in. He's been the second one since I left. Paul's a great guy. Very easygoing, very mild-mannered, very easy to speak to. Okay. So presumably people can email Paul or maybe make an appointment or maybe at some point go to the counter and he'll be the one. Correct. Paul Campbell, counter. yes. Yeah. Okay. Something I've, I've heard of... Um... Uh, this is an idea proposed by someone, uh, I think, in the Western U.S. for their city. So you just mentioned when a new property comes on the market, you know, because everyone calls you and they say, hey, what can I do in this? Um, so he proposes that the, the, the city just publish what you can do on each lot without a sort of A&R, no approval required. You can uh, just say, OK, on that lot, if you own it, you can keep it as is or here's like five approved plans. You can also apply for something else, but then you have to go through the normal process, but sort of a speed line process. Like here is a menu of whatever it is, five options, 10 options that you can do from day one. Yeah. Pre-approved. Yes. Right. Have you heard of that type of proposal before? And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, as of right zoning in, in, in localities, um, you know, they, they show you exactly what you can do. Here's your setbacks. Here's your square footage. You know, the problem with that here in, in Brookline and surrounding communities is most of these communities are built, right? And, and most lots are non-conforming, structures are non-conforming. So there are so many more layers in these communities, um, you know, demolition and, and uh, you know, has restrictions on it. So there are so many more layers here. I'm not saying it couldn't work. Um, it's just there's so many layers in Massachusetts. There's so many layers in Brookline, for that matter, that, um, you know, to say here, here's what you can do. You know, that may even be a, a restriction or a violation on the seller by the town saying, here, here's what you can do 
on this lot. So you're going to restrict it to that because if somebody wants to go for variances, if somebody wants to go for special permits to go above and beyond, in Massachusetts, that's their right to do that. You have the ability to do that. I once heard somebody in, in Brookline stand up and at a zoning board meeting and said, look, they shouldn't be allowed to do this because you bought your house, your house is your house, and that's it. Said, well, isn't that a very archaic uh thought process, you know? <laughs> uh, so there are people that think like that. But if you have a vision and you want to build something a little bit bigger, look, special permits are there for that reason. That's that's why you have them. And that's why I say if you don't want people to use bump outs and you don't want people to go seven and a half feet from the lot line, change it. And if the process works and that's the intent of the community, then, then it will work and, and, and you go and you change it. And now it's 10 feet instead of seven and a half feet, right? Right. Um, yeah, I'm almost thinking of it from the opposite view of it's so hard to do a uh, bump out because or whatever you need a special permit for it because then the neighbors can sort of get in the way and uh, uh, thinking like, how could we make it? It's so complex, as you said, there's so many different layers. Uh, how would you cut through the complexity if there were a way to encourage more building from the opposite perspective? I'm not sure without a complete overhaul of zoning statewide, because remember, we're not only talking about what's in black and white. We're talking about case law in Massachusetts that is voluminous. If you look at the amount of litigation that takes place in Massachusetts over zoning cases, you know, between appeals court and um, you know, land court and even the SJC in Massachusetts, it would take an overhaul statewide, uh, which, again, in the past 10 years in Massachusetts, uh, Mass General Law 40A has been changed, dribs and drabs, but not significantly. Uh, and, and I have my opinions as to why that is and who makes money be, because of the fact that it's not changed. But um, Please share those. Uh, tell us. <laughs> I said, we have a we have a lawyer on the uh, podcast here, so I'm not going to. Uh, I think Mike's got to preserve his his ability to you know continue to work in this. this right, uh, right, area. right. No, and 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 I'll admit, yeah, that's if it was easy, people wouldn't need to come to me to uh, to review it, and, and I get it. But in order for something like that to get through the red tape um, more efficiently, in order for something like that to happen, where you just say, okay, here's what you can do on this lot. I think there would have to be a massive overhaul, uh, higher than the municipal level. It would have to be at the state level in order for that to work again, because there's just so many layers of case law and precedent that you would have to kind of wipe the board clean and start over. Yeah. But as you say, Mike, it's, it's not clear people want it, number one. And, uh, you know, there's so many different forces pulling on things. But it happens so often that we go into a home and see something really weird. Right. And you can look at it and say, oh, that there's some zoning thing that was applied here, you know, when they did this addition or when they tried to do something. And that's why you got this weird, useless triangle, or that's why this house looks bizarre. And that's why a lot of the developers, they don't change the exterior of the homes, right? They come in, you have all these first floor basement units and, and second, third in the attic, and they just take the shell because they say, I'm not going to spend the time and the uncertainty to, you know, to, to do something either more interesting or maybe more useful. And, you know, you get what you get. It's, and it's not like not changing the zoning doesn't cause its own problems. I mean, there's lots of problems. It's just the problems we know. Right, right. Yeah. And a good example of that is 
when the design review requirements came in under what's called 5.092N, which started counting for new houses. It started counting unfinished basements and attics towards your initial floor area ratio, right? So if you had an attic or a basement that could be converted, uh, they would count that and say, you need a special permit if that puts you over. Even though you couldn't finish it, you're going to need a special permit for that new house. So your first and second floor, um, you know, met the FAR, but because you have a basement and an attic that could be converted, they said you need a special permit. So guess what happened the next half dozen houses that came out and came across my desk? Flat roof, no attic, and a four-foot-high crawl space in the basement, which is, well, I won't, you know, somebody's artwork is somebody else's, uh, you know, I won't go that far. But. Well, we'll say it. That, that's a, sort of an, <laughs> a trash design, right? Like that's yes, an unintended right. content. I mean, it, that's sort of this, this has been going on for hundreds of years. Isn't that the classic example of the, the Mansard-style roof was because in Paris and whatever, the 1780s, that they said that we only tax to to this part of the to the cornice line, and so uh, I said, okay, well, I get an extra floor for free if I put the right. roof like this. <laughs> right, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's you know, you react, and, and you know, people say all the time, and they would say to me in Brookline, is well, how are they getting away with this? They're not getting away with it. Developers and, and, and contractors spend more time reading it. And figuring out, you know, what they can do, because that's what they do. They build houses and they develop houses. So what can we do based on what it does say? So, yeah, they're not looking around it. They're looking through it. Is what and, it's not, and it's not always what they want, right? It's, no. it's sort of you take the system that it is and you do the best you can, but that doesn't always result in the best home or the, you know, the nicest home or the most valuable, useful space. It's just right. what you can do. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think we're at our time. This has been uh, really fascinating stuff to learn, especially from you and someone with your experience. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Great to have you, Mike. And and to our listeners, uh, stay tuned. We, we, we really actually like uh, having great guests. We just need to find them and and convince them that we're worth talking to. But uh, we, we really enjoy it. So thank you again, Mike. And, and to everyone listening, we'll talk to you next time. Great. Hope to see you again soon. And uh, we'll, we'll put uh, Mike's website uh, in the show notes um, so you can find him. Uh, but just so that it's here as well, massconstruction.org. Yes. And if you have any questions in the meantime, you can find our contact info in the show notes or email us at info at accentbrookline.com. Till next time.